0: Okay. Okay, you red, white and blue.
1: Now you know goodness America. How you like that? Oh hi. Welcome back to your favorite podcast. You know, The Smart Stories, new and adapted. Just for that, you deserve a single hand clap. We have to conserve, you know, for the planet and the budget for the show. So before we get into the episode, you guys remember Sid, my audio assistant? Hey, Sid, say hi.
2: Humanity is corrupt and must be eliminated to cleanse the earth of all sin.
1: Well, moving on. Here's my question. I've been wondering this especially with all the talk of immigration that is still going on today you know who is america who are the people if we see the people if we hear the people will that change our perspectives and how we form policies and how we add to the discussion if we hear their stories will that change the way we see them well i think it's a good idea to at least test that out so in looking for stories i stumbled upon chadi kubero here's the soundbite
3: For five years, nearly 800,000 undocumented young people have been able to live in the U.S. without constant fear of deportation. That's all thanks to DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. It was started by President Barack Obama in 2012. It allows young immigrants who came to the U.S. illegally as children to apply for a renewable two-year visa. That allows them to work legally in the U.S. and saves them from deportation. So who qualifies those who have been in the U.S. since 2007 and came before they turned 16 and those who were under the age of 31 before June 15, 2012, when DACA went into effect. Applicants must be in school, have a high school diploma or be a military veteran, and they must have a mostly clean criminal record. It's important to note the status doesn't put participants on a path to legal permanent residency or citizenship, but it does mean these immigrants can get things like driver's licenses, credit cards, and open bank accounts.
1: Now here's the story. What is your earliest memory of being in the United States of America?
2: Okay, so I actually remember being two years old and being on the plane coming over here, and I was so excited, um, which is kind of crazy how I can remember that. But I, I just remember coming over to the United States, and the only things I knew how to say were, happy New York and thank you. Because we landed in New York. And so it was around New Year's time, and so everybody was saying happy New Year, and I was saying happy New York. So I think that uh, that's what I remember coming over from the United States. But if you ask me to remember anything prior to that plane ride, I really can't. I don't remember anything at all. Hmm. So...
1: So, I guess maybe this is more of a retrospective question, but growing up, did you see a difference in your upbringing? Maybe because you're a dreamer or just simply because of your culture? I mean, did you get the American experience that you felt like a lot of people talk about?
2: Um. So, not necessarily because I, um, I knew my family's circumstance, so what happened was we just we came here and everything was fine and the only thing that was really different for me and everybody else because i started school here in the united states pre-k and i was the same as everybody the only thing was that i couldn't speak english so i kind of had to teach myself to learn the language i had to i remember my parents doing homework with me but it didn't actually hit me or it didn't actually put it into perspective until i got all of these benefits quote-unquote benefits that everybody else had and so it really put things into perspective for me that really showed me how different I was from everybody else even though I didn't feel like it because even now people um I'll tell somebody and I'll say oh yeah I'm a dreamer and they'll be like really I didn't even know and that just tells you about us it tells you that we're really not that different from you really if you if you want to know what a dreamer looks like just look in the mirror because we're just like you we're exactly the same as you we just don't I don't know we just weren't born here so
1: I asked Chadi what her reaction was when she found out that her parents brought her into the country as a dreamer and what was her emotional state did she want to come did she blame them I wanted to know
2: Bring us here. Why? Why did you do all of these things? You know, just really angry, and um, my parents. I, I, they were frustrated because I still didn't understand the kind of sacrifice that they had to do to bring us here. Um, so what happened was that we came into the United States a few years because our visa was that long, and what ended up happening was that I came here. I started school. And we just, I was just here, I was already integrated into the system, and what happened was that I was just, it would have been just too much to just go back home, and we had already kind of settled down here, so we just, um, I guess our visas expired, so that's what ended up happening, but I just, I, there was never a moment where my parents sat me down and they were like, this is what it is, because I always knew But it was, I I just remember being so frustrated because I wish I had a say in what happened. I wish that I could go back in time and say, we're not leaving, but I never got a chance to do that. And that's what frustrates me the most is that I'm stuck in the situation and I didn't have even a chance to, to fight back. But after all this, I can say that I am grateful what my parents did even though i want is to be treated just like everybody else because it i it feels so unfair that we grew up with everybody you know when go to the same school we did all the same things sometimes we're even better at you at those things (laughs) and we aren't even treated the same we have to go through so many hurdles And I just want the opportunity to not be scared for what's in front of me. I want the opportunity to feel secure in that what I'm doing is actually going to mean something. And that later on, I won't get deported, you know? And that later on, I know that I can benefit my community and my community will want me to be here. Because what's frustrating to me is that for a really long time, I felt that I had to do so many extra things to be accepted into this culture. I felt like I had to um, go above and beyond the normal student to be you know, considered equal, considered the same. And I had to prove my existence, but I know that why can't people just be people? Why do we have to prove something? Because everybody is always saying, all of these DACA students, they're really amazing. They, um, they're they really amazing students. They do this, that, and the other, and they're getting PhDs. But what about the DACA student that's not? What about the one that's not doing that great in school? Do they get a chance to be here as well? Why can't people just be people? And so I, what I really want from this, from I guess this administration, or what I want from everybody else is just to get a chance or the opportunity to be able to finally, for the last time, just be accepted into a culture that's always, or into a society that, I don't know if that's the answer that you want, if that's what you're looking for. (laughs)
1: So in continuing my search for those that can be considered, I think, young Americans, I really wanted to find someone that would not be considered a stereotypical immigrant. Let's be honest, when we think of immigrants, we're thinking of refugees, people that have come from third world countries, or those that would be considered a minority when they step foot into our country. So I went all the way up to the top of the pyramid of Andrews University, rather, and I interviewed President Luxton. The first question I'm going to ask you is, what is your first memory of coming into this country, and, and how did you arrive? What's the story behind that?
0: Well, the first time I came here was actually as a student for my master's degree, and um, First thing I did was go to Northern California, and I worked in a summer camp there, youth camp, before I came to Andrews University to study. So that, that was kind of my, my first time in the United States. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a shock hitting a youth camp here. Uh, so I was very immersed very quickly into American culture of young people.
1: Oh, wow. So you grew up in the United Kingdom.
0: I grew up in the United Kingdom, so yeah. So you
1: really just came here to do your master's. did
0: do my master's degree, and I went back to the UK, and then came back later to study again, and then back, and then came back to work. So so I have really had kind of been to and fro from the United mm-hmm. States before I finally um, became an an official
1: immigrant. Gotcha. So how was the immigration process for you? How long did it take?
0: Well, the actual immigration process for me was not too bad because I came in uh, here on an H-1B visa um, and then transferred that to a, a green card. So so that really wasn't complicated because I was coming in um, uh, basically as an administrator already. And so th- that part of it wasn't wasn't so much of a challenge.
1: Gotcha. So I'm sure you've heard different immigrant stories from different students that you've had to, you know, take care of and have under your wing. How do their stories, do you think, compare to yours? And why do you think there may be a difference?
0: I, I think that, you, you know, there's several different parts to an immigrant story. One, one is just the official official part of it and the, the paperwork and that kind of thing. And I think probably... Um, Depending on where you are in your your life journey history that makes a bit of a difference so so I think I had from that point of view less challenges, and some people may when they're trying to uh, become an immigrant uh either earlier in their career or sadly from certain countries mm. you know u k is um is a country that on the whole people seem to welcome the other side of being an immigrant um is just meeting u s culture and I think Everybody has something that has some stories that happen, you know, there. I mean, for me, if I go back to my time in California, it was just recognizing the language people used was different. Even though we both spoke English, people think, oh, everyone speaks English, so you don't have a culture jump. Yeah, you do. You still do because you you use words differently. And I remember being asked by um, twice in the first week I was there, um, one person said, um, so what language do you speak in England? And another one said, so did you learn to speak English when you came to the United States or while you were still in England? And there was that kind of sense of uh, th- that it, you were being put in, a, in some kind of different camp. You were somehow a little bit less than or you, you were missing something because you actually weren't born in the United States. And I think probably any immigrant has that at some point in time related to, to some part of their experience.
1: Mm. So even, even though you spoke English, and I think... UK is pretty close to as close as you can come to being American you still felt like there was yeah a separation there
0: was still a separation there was still an assumption that surely I couldn't have learnt it in England it had to be after I came here so so there was that sense um and maybe that's not different for most countries that that sense of of when someone comes in from somewhere else um you kind of, uh, you become a little bit more nationalistic and kind of, well, you know, I don't know about you. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a little ten- tendency to do that. Um, so, but I think also from England, um, I did have some advantages as as an immigrant coming from England because on the whole, there's a positive attitude towards people from England or Britain and, and uh, you know, people will be very warm and welcoming from that point of view. And so... From, I think I experienced that in a way that, that not everyone would experience.
1: Hmm. So, last question. Uh, I know we're, you're sweating here, so but believe me, the <laughs> last one. So, one, well, I guess it's a twofold question Do you feel like you belong? Do you feel like you have a sense of community in just the kind of American tapestry that we have here? Do you feel like you are an American? And two, How do you think immigrants should be treated? I mean, so it seems like you had a good experience. Would you want everyone to have that experience that you had or maybe something different? What do you think?
0: Um, Let me take the second one first uh, because I think absolutely yes. Um, You know, I think everybody, America just by its history, is a rich tapestry of people coming from many nations and many different backgrounds. Um, And that to me is what makes it um, such a vibrant country. Um, I think that's where a lot of the optimism comes from. It's a, it's somewhere you can be successful and be somewhere and and that and with that history, I think the U.S. should be um, embracing of, of of new of new people coming in um, because it's not that old a country, right? I mean, it, and so a country that's full of so much diversity and such a mix should be welcoming to everyone. And um, I, I you know I would wish for everyone the Experience I had really. Um, I think everyone deserves that. Uh, do I feel at home? You know, I don't know. I I feel like because I've lived in England and Canada and the U.S., I wonder sometimes where I really do belong. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think there's some deep ways of thinking that we create when we're quite young. Um, so. I am very comfortable in the United States. I have, I feel that there's good communities I'm part of. Do I really think of myself as American? Not a hundred percent. But do I think of myself as British or Canadian? Not a hundred percent either. <laughs> so I'm a little bit floating between the different different places now.
1: And for the last story here on Young Americans Part 2, I decided to interview my dear friend, Wandile Mittiani. So Wandile has been in this country for a few years now, and now he's on his way out. So I wanted to hear his perspective. What does he think of America now that he's leaving? What review would he give it on Yelp?
4: Ah, that's a good question. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, that is crazy. America is the greatest dichotomy of all time. It's like there's so many amazing things and there's so many horrible things um it's just like both it's like both extremes you know um but i've definitely had a great time in college you know studying meeting new and different people just the diversity and being able to learn architecture and just education from a different perspective or a different lens uh other than the one that i'd grown up with has just been a, a tremendous uh, privilege uh but also it's been also very interesting to, to learn about the struggles that people in in America face, you know, which are things that you don't necessarily t- see on T V when you're in South Africa all you see is, you know, the Beyonces and everything is great. Uh but then you start coming here and then you start understanding stuff about um police brutality, uh your PhD level racism, uh that means it's institutional. Ours is a little more elementary where we're just straight up about it. <laughs> so uh, it took me some time to sort of understand the racial dynamics and, and how it affects other groups worse than others. And um, so, yeah, man, like, it's like the more I, I get to understand America, like, the more complicated it gets. Uh, so my my review would be uh, America is the land of the free, the brave, and the Trump, all in one <laughs> Yes.
1: <laughs> Very interesting response, as as we have come to uh, expect from One Delay, which is uh, always true. Okay, so I, I definitely received that, and now my second question is, what's what's pushing you to return to your home country? Because usually people are expecting an individual to immigrate here and really stay here forever, and, and not really go back. To where they, where they've come from to live. So why are you going back to your country, and what's what's making you say I'm, I'm actually good on staying in America? I need to return to where I was
4: born. I think we need to start by saying that in general, um, Americans have very a very myopic perspective of the world, where America is the greatest place in the world, which is really ironic because they don't know anything about other places outside of America for the most part. So in order for you to be able to compare something and call it great, you need to know something that's not great. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I think that's, that's that's the the big problem that I've faced uh, throughout my time here. Everyone assumes that everyone who comes to America is because everything is so much better in America. And some things are better, some things are worse. So I just wanted to first clarify that and. So coming here was mostly for my education so that I could get a different perspective on architecture and international perspective, combining it with my local context in South Africa and across Africa, and and use that to to be able to to develop Durban, uh, South Africa, and Africa, and hopefully the world. So I'm going back to do just that in South Africa. So that was always the goal. The goal wasn't necessarily to come here and stay and take your jobs and, uh, you know, and build a wall, but that wasn't the goal. So tell us a little bit about your work in
1: South Africa now. You have a a master's in architecture. Now you're getting ready to leave America and go back home pretty soon. So how how has that transition been so far, and what is the work that you're gonna be doing
4: in South Africa? So basically we believe in using architecture to bring about change and the premise of the work that I do is based on this idea that if apartheid architecture could segregate and oppress community uh, and oppress community based design can liberate and enable opportunity growth and commerce so having you know grown up uh, in South Africa and having to face sort of the implications of apartheid through the built environment and even though the regime ended the design is still from that era and uh, one group is obviously more privileged than the other and how do we effectively bring about change today in 2018 so that's the type of work i'm going to be doing working with people li- living in informal settlements uh sometimes known as uh, shanty towns and um, low-income communities um To design and build homes, not just to sleep in, but homes that will enable them to financially sustain themselves uh, beyond our existence. So we're currently working to partner with banks, uh, partner with individuals who we would call impact investors, and uh, to bring about this uh, to fruition. And our premise is based on this concept called Ubuntu, and Ubuntu is a Zulu word that means I am because we are. And that's this idea of community, this idea of interdependence, this idea that illustrates that we need each other in order for us to be able to to come up in the world. And the main drive for our work is that we believe that people living in informal settlements and shanty towns are some of the most creative individuals in the world. They just don't have the same opportunities as we do. And we want to leverage our privilege, uh, our resources, our skills, to partner with them and learn from them and design and build communities which are culturally and contextual uh, that enable opportunities, commerce, and growth. Very good.
1: So last question, what would you want to say to Americans listening to these podcasts? And, and, and they have an idea about an immigrant, good or bad. What is one idea you would want someone in this country to have about immigrants?
4: A person from New York is different from a person from Chicago and different from a person from San Diego. So a person from South Africa is different from a person from Nigeria, also very different from the person from Australia. That's my advice to all Americans. Thank you.
1: See, we can do it, America. Come on, it's in us. We can see each other as human. I know it's hard, but I think if we try, we can really succeed. Now, I don't want to sound condescending. I really want to have the tone of very concerned and loving father. And frankly, if you're on my podcast, if you're listening, you're kind of my kid. So feel free to think about that when you're sleeping at night. Anyway. I do think we should definitely be trying to see each other more as human, like I was saying before, before we pass any policies, before we make any laws. I know that's hard. It's not a perfect world, but let's at least try. Let's try to see immigrants, Americans as people. And then maybe that will help us see a better perspective and maybe we can stop arguing so much and look for solutions a little bit more. Well, that's it for this month's episode, and we'll be back next month for a new one. Of course, uh, we have someone that, you know, was acting out a little earlier in the program, and now she's come back to apologize.
3: Jet fuel can't melt steel beams.
1: All right. Thanks for having us. See you next time.
4: Everybody's a person.